Hello and welcome to Delicious History on Vacation. This week we are in lovely Milan, Italy. When was the last time someone started a war over some flower parts? Find out on this episode of Delicious History. Delicious History is a podcast designed to show us not just how history has affected food, but how food has affected history. For more information, you can visit us at deliciousHistoryPodcast.com. Also, feel free to check out our social media at Instagram and Facebook at Delicious History Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dave Militello. This episode is brought to you by Purposed Design. Now, I know a lot of listeners here are in the educational realm, whether it be primary school, high school, higher education, or even education on a corporate level or adult level. Do you have a course or a program you want to get off the ground? Purpose Design offers educational and professional development services with experts available to develop curricula or developers to move curricula online. Their media production staff can create proprietary videos for any course or training. For more information, you can visit them at PurposedLearningDesign.com. So this was kind of a tricky episode to decide to make or not because we're actually not spending a lot of time in Milan. Uh, The truth is it's just a stopover between Switzerland and Venice. But in my defense, it's not like we're having a layover at an airport and saying we're here. We actually took a train here to Milan and we're spending the night in a hotel. I mean, that being said, we're not going to be taking in too many sites because we're not going to be here that long. One thing I will say, though, is that the train station here is on point. First of all, it's giant. And also, it's absolutely beautiful more on the outside than inside. But the other thing is they have an incredible food court. I'm sure it comes to a surprise to absolutely nobody that food is going to be a big draw for me. Plus, being here in Milan, we're stepping foot into Italy for the first time in this trip, and it feels a bit like a homecoming. In fact, when we were crossing the border from Switzerland to Italy, there were some Italian immigration officers that were going through everyone's papers, making sure... Uh, everything was in order and they were like super serious. Well, anyway, they took my passport and their faces immediately changed. So the uh, the main officer, he looks at my passport and he goes, Militello, referring to my last name. And he goes, you know, one of my favorite comedians is a Militello. And then he had this big smile on his face. And that was not only great to see for the first time, but also it was the first time uh, I got to speak Italian for real in front of my wife. So got to show off to my number one girl. Anyway, going back to that food court, um, it was incredible. The quality and the variety of food was just, oof, mm, something else. But the only thing was that it really was not cheap. Like you think, well, if I'm at a train station and I'm not eating in a restaurant, you're probably going to get something for relatively cheap, but that was uh, certainly not the case at all. But food was extremely good, all kinds of quality ingredients. And I think it's important to note that, yes, we are in Italy, and yes, we are eating Italian food, but 
there really is no such thing as Italian food, per se. At least not in the neat little box we like to put it in. Every region of Italy has extremely unique and distinct types of food, and even province to province or or city to city, the the way they make foods are, are very different. So when you're here in Milan, one of the most famous dishes you're going to get is called risotto milanese. But technically, the name of this dish is il risotto allo zafferano. As you would imagine, based on this name, saffron is the star of this dish. In Italy, if you go back a few episodes, we actually talked about rice quite a bit. Now, yes, obviously, when we think of Italian food, some of the most popular types of food are going to be pastas and pizzas. But rice is actually extremely popular in the north, specifically in the form of risotto. Well, most people, when they think of risotto, they think of something maybe with cheeses, uh, porcini mushrooms, maybe even some seafood added to it. But the classic dish of Milan has saffron. Okay, so let's talk about saffron for a bit. After all, it's by far the most expensive spice in the world. And when I mean by far, I mean by far. The number two most expensive spice in the world is vanilla which comes in at about $150 a pound. Saffron can run you upwards of $600 a pound, depending on its quality. So why is this spice so expensive? Well, it it comes down to what saffron actually is. Saffron, unlike a lot of other spices, is very odd. When we think of spices, we think of leaves, uh, seeds, or even bark of certain plants. But saffron is specifically the stigma of a particular type of crocus flower, which are those delicate things hanging out of the flower itself as a reproductive organ. Gross. As you can imagine, there's very little to harvest from each of these flowers. Exactly three of these stigmas are known as threads. This means that not only is there very little to take from these plants, but it's also extremely labor-intensive to take tiny little scissors or tweezers and, and cut them off. Which is why when you have a pound of saffron, you're actually talking about tens of thousands of these threads. The good news is saffron is actually quite intense, so you don't have to use a lot to get the effect you're looking for. In the West, we don't really use saffron all that much. Well, at least not anymore. Uh, But it's actually not from the West anyway, so that probably plays a role. Saffron is believed to have originated somewhere between modern-day Greece and Iran. And the domestication of the plant happened somewhere around 3,500 years ago. Domestication is actually a very important part of understanding this plant, because it can't grow naturally anymore. Much like a lot of other plants that we've domesticated for food, like bananas, Saffron crocuses need to be planted from parts of other plants and can't be planted by seed. We have records of people using saffron during the Bronze Age, most notably the Minoans, which were the pre-Greek Greeks. Beyond that, we have proof of people using saffron or saffron-related plants well before that time in the Middle East and Persia. While we typically think of people using saffron for culinary purposes, and certainly the vast majority of people who use saffron use it for that, People also use it for other things like dyes and medicines and cosmetics. During pre-Roman times, we have evidence of saffron being widely used all the way from the eastern Mediterranean all the way to Southeast Asia. Cleopatra famously took baths with saffron. As the Roman Republic and then the Roman Empire grew, 
saffron became more commonly spread throughout the West. In fact, the Romans brought saffron plants with them as far west as Gaul, which would be modern-day France. The Romans used to use saffron in food, but as well in potpourri, and even mix it with their wine. On some occasions, such as when Nero entered Rome, people would spread saffron on the streets and throw it in the air. But by the time of the barbarian invasions of the 3rd century, cultivation in the Western Empire dwindled to almost nothing, and most of it had to be imported from the East. And that's really where our story begins. As the Roman Empire fell and contact with the East dropped to almost nothing, saffron just became a luxury item, and most people probably never even heard of it from the 6th century and onward. That said, there's still going to be people who want it because rich people are going to rich. Saffron was always considered something exotic to Western Europe, but especially when trade routes were almost nearly shut down when compared to Roman times. It really became hard to get your hands on saffron after the 11th century because of the Crusades. Beyond the immense cost of getting things from the Eastern world, there were also legal restrictions against having dealings with Arabs and the Turks, who were doing most of the trade between the East and West. We're not going to talk too much about that here because we're actually going to talk about it next episode in our Venice episode. But just so we have an understanding, basically the Pope said stop giving money to the enemy by buying all these luxurious Eastern goods from the Muslims. But as time went on, between a combination of the Crusades not being as strong as they used to be and people really not caring as much about what the Pope had to say about their spice cabinets, people were finding ways to get what they wanted, even if they had to pay a hefty price. Since the price of saffron was obviously quite attractive for anyone who could supply it, there was some cultivation that was taking place in the Christian world, mostly in France during the 13th century. Now, there was some cultivation of saffron in more controlled Spain, which is most likely where the plants came from that were planted in France, but again, we're talking about the Western Christian part of Europe. And within a very short period of time, saffron became more widely used, though not at levels we were seeing during Roman times. But that started to change during the time of the Black Death, which was between 1347 and 1350. A few things started to happen. First of all, saffron was considered to be useful to plague victims whether as a cure or at least to help the symptoms. So, obviously, more people wanted to get their hands on saffron. At the same time, as saffron was becoming more and more popular, a large number of farmers that were previously growing saffron in Europe just up and died. You know, very inconsiderate, if, if you ask me. Because of this combination, demand for saffron went through the roof, and it had to be brought in from overseas. During this time, massive amounts of saffron were brought in from the eastern Mediterranean and then to what is now northern Italy to be distributed throughout the rest of Europe. While Venice had a large role to play in the actual importation of saffron, a lot of the distribution happened in and around Milan. This is where we get into the Saffron War. Milan has always been a hub of transportation. It's located in a strategically important place at the very top of the Italian peninsula and has access to just about the entire continent of Europe at its fingertips. That said, it makes sense that it became a huge center for commerce and trade. As more and more saffron was being brought into Europe, the prices didn't seem to go down at all. In fact, if anything, it seemed that as more saffron was available, 
more people saw it as something attainable and therefore the price stayed the same and even went up. As a result, pirates were now changing their modem operandi. When they would attack boats coming from the eastern Mediterranean, instead of looking for gold and silver, they were looking for saffron. People were going absolutely crazy trying to get their hands on saffron. And this is where we get the saffron war. Okay, I'm going to level with you guys. If I'm being perfectly honest, there is very, very little information about the saffron war available, at least from reputable sources. We really don't know about the exact people who were involved or the exact dates, but we do have enough information to give us an idea of what happened. In fact, I haven't been able to find a single podcast or YouTube video or any kind of multimedia presentation on the topic. So at least as of the time of recording, this is a delicious history exclusive story. As previously mentioned, there was plenty of pirating that was taking place when it came to saffron in the Mediterranean. During the 14th century, and sadly we don't have an exact year here, there was a shipment of saffron that was arriving to Italy and bound to the city of Basel, which is just north of Milan in modern-day Switzerland. The shipment was stolen, but not just by any mere pirates, but pirates that were paid by European nobility. The total amount that was stolen comes out to about $500,000 worth of saffron in today's market. Once the merchants found out what was going on, they started a war with this nobility that lasted 14 weeks until their shipment was released. And that's all we know. So why would I do an entire episode on an event that has so little information about it? Well, it isn't so much what happened during this specific conflict, but what the conflict itself meant. Europe was changing, and the people who were in power weren't happy about it. Remember that up to this time, most of Europe was feudalistic, with a small handful of royalty and nobility running the entire continent. Now you have new classes of people, namely merchants in this case, who were able to rise from poverty and make a name for themselves. And this was especially true in Italy at the time, When we think of the Renaissance, for example, this was a time where city-states ruled the Italian peninsula. And oftentimes, these city-states were ruled by families that got their start in mercantilism and trade. Think of families like the Medicis or the Borgias. These were people who started out relatively low on the social scale and ended up becoming patrons of the arts of some of the most important pieces in history, and even becoming popes. In Milan, which itself became its own self-ruling city-state, you had families like the Visconti and the Sforza that eventually became extremely wealthy thanks in part to trade through Milan, especially with items like saffron. All right, so now here's a little bonus fact. I know I don't have much information to tell you about the actual theme of this episode, so I'm going to make it up to you. Let's talk about risotto milanese and how this dish came about. I just love the history of this dish. So, remember how I told you how the actual name of this dish is el risotto alla zafferrano? Well, this is not a general reference to people who like saffron. There's actually a specific person attached to this dish, and the story is incredible. It has nothing to do with history or how food has affected history, which is why it's a bonus, but I still love this story. You've already learned everything you're going to learn about the saffron war at this point in the podcast, but... Don't turn it off just yet, because this is actually the best part of the episode. One of the most famous parts 
of Milan is the famous Duomo. Well, in 1574, the person who was in charge of the construction of the Duomo was known as Maestro Valerio. He had a young assistant who was playing a large role in making the tinted glass for the Duomo, and he fell in love with saffron. He loved the colors that it made. He loved the way that it tasted. And so he put saffron on everything, in everything. And eventually they gave him the nickname Zafferrano. He loved saffron so much that Valerio would joke around that he would put it in risotto if he had the opportunity, which apparently was a very odd thing to say at the time. Well, it turns out that Valerio's daughter was going to get married, and at the reception, they were going to serve risotto. At the time, risotto was made quite simply, and you would typically have it served with butter, onions perhaps, and some cheese. But because this was a a special event, they were going to put gold leaf on the risotto. One way or another, Valerio's assistant was in the kitchen and decided to play a little trick because in true Italian fashion, it turns out he was actually in love with Valerio's daughter and wanted to protest the wedding. So instead of putting gold leaf with the risotto, he put in saffron because Valerio had specifically joked about how bad it would be to do that. Well, the joke was on Zafferrano because it was a hit and eventually ended up becoming one of the defining dishes of northern Italian cuisine. Do I believe the story? No, not really. But do I find it adorable and one of the most Italian-sounding things I've ever heard? Oh, absolutely. Well, that'll do it for Milan, Italy. If we don't miss our train, you'll hear from us next time from Venice. Until then, remember that we all write our own history. So make yours delicious. Mi hanno detto che puoi respirare Ogni secondo non ci devi pensare Oggi invece posso dirti che Che non è vero e sai perché Si respira Dove l'aria c'è Dove l'aria c'è Si respira